Listen, it's time now to hear the quiet revolution. Welcome back to The Quiet Revolution, Ways of Knowing. This is Florence Dunkel, the host of the podcast series, exploring ways of knowing that are integrated or can be integrated into Western culture science. Today we are around the campfire in Lame Deer, Montana on the campus of Chief Dullknife College. This is a tribal managed college, community college, but like MSU, it is also a land-grant institution whose mission is to serve the community through teaching, research, and extension or outreach. Well, Kathy Bertusk is here waiting for us at the campfire. She's a mom and a grandma and a wise elder woman of the Northern Cheyenne. She's also very brave. We're looking forward to more stories, maybe some history, since Kathy is a direct descendant of Chief Dullknife himself. I'm Kathleen Bertusk. I've worked at Chief Dullknife College for 38 years. I never wanted to ever leave this, and to work anyplace else um, because of the atmosphere here on the reservation. I like the atmosphere and the purpose of the college. I have uh, five children, four of them graduated with their uh, two-year degree. I live in, I, I've lived on the reservation most of my life, but for the last 20 years, I've lived in Coldstrip, Montana. My title is administrative assistant to the academic dean, but throughout my time here, I've done other things as receptionist and working for the Indian Child Welfare Act, but I've always pretty much worked with the academic dean. The college is the shining star on the reservation. It's, it's where we have a lot of hope, or we can get a lot of hope, a lot of um, success, uh, if people wanted to. When we first opened, we had kind of a, like the older, older generation, our non-traditional students, they were like 30 to 40 years old and they finished out, and then now it's just all young people, straight from, straight from uh, high school. Chief Don Life College initially started out as a carpentry uh, shop kind of stuff, and they eventually brought in academics, and now uh, we're purely academic, but now we're going back to maybe some carpentry, but they're we're trying to prepare the young people here um, to have a good life, uh, to survive, uh, get, get an education, get that knowledge. It's the only thing that's going to help to deal with the outside world opposed to the reservation, reservation life. Um, uh, I think it's, the college is underappreciated. We do help a lot of young people uh, learn the path of going to college here. And they take that uh, experience and they, they, they'll be more comfortable in the transition 
uh, to go to college in the in the out, outside world as opposed to oh skip that part I don't know what I'm trying to say <laughs> <laughs> but it's the only thing that's going to help us as a people um, we need that we need that knowledge um, and doll knife is very unique um, in in the purpose that we have is to help kids get their education and yet to learn uh, about their culture their history um, their language uh, those are things that we don't want our young people to forget. Four of my five children graduated from Dalnai. And then we have like a family history behind uh, the college. The college is named after my great-great-grandfather who was Chief Dalnai. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud of that. I really instill that into my children. Uh, life is not easy. I think that Chief Dalnife died. He, he carried this burden all his life of taking care of his people. And I think he died a bitter man, you know, because of all the trials and tribulations that he went through. I tell my children that uh, we all have burdens. Everybody has a burden that, you know, that they have to carry during their lifetime. Um, and don't feel sorry for yourself because um, it, it should make you want to work harder and be a better person and to always think of what their, uh, well, they would be sixth generation, uh, sixth generation to Dull Knife, that he had an extremely hard life during a time when, you know, people were, they were trying to make a transition from being Plains Indians to be put on a reservation. But this is our home. Uh, our ancestors um, spilled their blood so that we could keep our home. Chief Dull Knife, after the Custer battle, Chief Dalnife uh, brought them, brought our people back from Oklahoma. They called it Indian Territory, or in, where they just thought, you know, put all the Indians in one spot, <laughs> one spot. But they, they walked, they walked all the way home, lost a lot of people, they faced a lot of awful times, but. That was his purpose, was to be home. And at that time in history, um, there were a lot of young, young men, warriors, and some of the some of the people they they didn't want to. Uh, they wanted to fight. They still wanted to fight. Um, what was happening, but Chief Dalnife knew he he had a 
he just knew, he, he said that we can't live the way we used to. He knew that there, it was not going to go back to the old way. And he told um, his people that in order to survive as a people, we needed to ac accept what was good from the white man to make ourselves a better person, to be able to survive, accept their education. And there was a lot of contention from some of the people, that young, young warriors mostly. Um, they still wanted to fight. They still wanted to fight, but, you know, uh, they, so they called Chief Dalknife a, a white man's wife, probably along with other names, but yeah, they, they chanted and shot their guns in the air. They, they didn't see what Doll Life was trying to do to make, ensure that our people could survive in this new world that was on us. So, and he, he came here and I'm not sure what age he was when he passed away, but he, he passed away on the Rosebud, Rosebud Creek between here and Busby. And they did move him down to the cemetery, I don't know what year, but he and uh, Chief Little Wolf are both buried in our cemetery here. And I, I just really try to push, not push my children, but have them appreciate what their, what their grandfather did to get all of us back home. I'd like to tell you a story about Kathleen herself. In 2003, as part of the first international studies program at Chief Dullknife College, her daughter Janelle Bertusk was offered an externship in Mali, West Africa. As far as we know, this would be the first time any Northern Cheyenne would visit Africa. Janelle would make the trip with a science instructor, the late Robert Madsen from Chief Dalnaf College, and a woman evaluator. I was to meet them there. Janelle was about to break an entirely new trail. For Kathy, this was huge. As she told us later, quote, we Northern Cheyenne don't push our children out of the home at 18 years of age, like the white people. We hold them tight. Kathy was courageous. She encouraged her daughter, saw this as an opportunity for her daughter to grow and for people to learn. And Kathy helped us understand what it's like raising children on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation or nearby as she did in Colstrip. Six years later, after the first visit to Mali, we offered Janelle an opportunity to return to Mali. You can listen to more of this if you'd like, um, stories on the MSU Mali website, the film Dancing Across the Gap, at www.montana.edu forward slash Mali. Go to the video section and you'll find Dancing Across the Gap, Kathy, Janelle, and the rest of her family and other Cheyenne women as they leave the reservation, travel to Mali, and live in a farming village and exchange stories there. Joining us now around the campfire at the campus of Chief Dullknife College is Anthony Whitegert. 
Anthony is a historical researcher at Chief Dullknife College, and as long as I have known him, he is always ready with a story to illustrate core values of the Northern Cheyenne. Well, my name is Anthony Whiter, and I am a historical researcher specialist here at Chief Dullknife College. Right after high school, I came to Chief Dullknife College, and I started to um, look at plants and it just so happened that there was a internship called the Embry Internship and with that we had to interview elders and talk about their uses for plants, medicinal, household, everyday, you know, uses for those plants and I started with that project and it led to another project which led to me actually becoming a full-time employee here at Chief Dolly College. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know about plants. Uh, coming into it, all I knew was how the Cheyennes used bitterroot for their toothaches, and that was the only knowledge I knew about plants. And then after I started that project, I started to realize there was way more uses for bitterroot. And that led to another plant, the yarrow, the Western yarrow, and there I learned more about that, how you know you could use it on rashes, and if you ever come in contact with poison ivy, then you're able to chew the stem of that Western yarrow, and then you would be able to wipe off the poison pretty quick. And I didn't know about that. And it also stops ble the bleeding. So that's what I learned and what I really enjoyed about that project is just learning about plants in general. There's a lot of plants that they use and they're actually having to change uh, like their ceremonies. The Cheyennes are actually having to change their ceremonies and kind of go or find a substitute for certain plants now. Climate change is changing plants rapidly on this reservation. Um, like I said uh, earlier, the cottonwood, it, it was plentiful here in early 1800s and the Cheyennes actually used that in one of their ceremonies and it got depleted and they have to replace the cottonwood with a different tree in their ceremonies now and it's one of their main ceremonies. So that's kind of one of the big changes that happens and a lot, a lot of the elders talk about the cottonwood kind of disappearing. So I turned from plants to media, so it's kind of a calling. It's kind of, I didn't realize how much fun I have with cameras until like I started messing with that camera and I fell in love with it. It's a really powerful tool, especially in this day and age when um, kids and teenagers and college students have a fast pace in life, you know, it's moving pretty quick and a lot of outers are leaving pretty quick. and media and camera and um, all of that, it captures the language and it delivers it to the student quickly. And it also keeps a, keeps kind of, kind of a memory of the outer among the people. I um, started to use uh, YouTube, started to use Facebook and started a page on both of them. And that's a good way to get um, the language across to you know our urban natives who live out in the city and they want to stay connected to the tribe but can't because of you know low employment on the reservation so they have to go out and actually work and so for them to be able to access videos and just resources on the language it's kind of a helpful tool for them and it's it's a rewarding job when you get those comments and hear that they're actually learning from those pages and it gets me excited to make more videos i think it it is a shared um, community sentiment to preserve the language. A lot of the elders see it and they're warning us now. They're telling us, you know, you guys better save it, otherwise it's going to disappear. You guys are just going to be a race. Without your language, you're just Native Americans. 
and with our language, it's who we are. We're Cheyenne, and when we speak Cheyenne, you know, we're letting everybody know who we are as a nation. And it's it's come to you know, our elders giving us that rude awakening and kind of cracking the whip on us now. It's now or never, or you know, we're gonna disappear. And it's kind of like our prophet. His name was Sweet Medicine. In Cheyenne, we call him Madzeio, and he kind of made a prophet long time ago that our people are gonna be eaten alive by a baby with, born with white hair. And we kind of think it's a metaphor. And uh, my grandma, she's like, it's probably Trump. You know, she kind of thinks about that. And I was like, oh, okay, gives me chills. And I was like, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that, grandma. And she kind of freaks out. And she's like, why, you guys better take all the funding you can get, apply for all these grants, because they're willing to help. And so that's what we do over out here at the college is we try to get the grants and record as much as we can. And we kind of offer those elders incentives. And it helps them because our, our town has a high unemployment rate. There's hardly any jobs. and. When I do go and record them, I give them, uh, you know, some money, some, at least for some groceries, and um, it helps them, and it makes them feel good to know that they help preserve the language, and they recognize me when they go out. A lot of the elders recognize me as their grandchildren don't. <laughs> it's, you know, they do introduce me to their grandkids later, and they're like, that's your cousin, and we're like, oh, and they're really receptive, and sometimes they're shy. The Cheyenne tribe, they're known to be a shy people. And me, I'm kind of like, I like to talk to people and you know, just sit down, and, but it's kind of hard to talk to, kind of um, connect with the younger generation. And you can see that because a lot of them don't know the language. And I think a lot of the time they're just uh, too busy uh, to even sit down and learn the language from their own elders. And, uh, when I do meet those kids, their grandparents kind of scold them too, like, you need to learn a language like him. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to get you in trouble real quick, but yeah, your grandma's speaking the truth right now. Uh, and they're like, yeah, I'm learning it. And I tell them, give them those resources about on YouTube and Facebook and let them know there are pages. Um, just go and look on them and I'm, I'm sure you'll learn a word or two. The language is a big, has an impact on everybody around here. And, you know, we all work together with the Crows, we work together with the Flatheads, the Dakotas, and the Grovants. And now we all have this, um, these, our own little projects going where we're all trying to preserve the language. And um, the Cheyennes, we're kind of, um, you know, taking a lead on video and audio stories. And now I see a lot of that going on with the tribes. And it's pretty cool to see, you know, the Aani tribe, you know, the, the word of the day. and. Uh, you know, it's good. We all kind of have um, ideas that bounce back from each other. We all keep connected and we all meet up in Helena and show off our projects at the uh, Capitol. And we have the senators and legislators going by and they're just congratulating us. And we're just like, yes, we're doing something right, you know? And it's good to prove that, you know, we're not just squandering their money, but we're actually there, you know, working hard. And it's, it all pays off when you just find out, like some kids learned the language from these pages or these videos. It's pretty cool. And we're also, we have the Class 7 um, project going where we're trying to create more Cheyenne language speakers. Um, the Class 7 is, um, what they do is they get certified through the state and that is equivalent to a bachelor's degree where they're able to teach the Cheyenne language at any institute in Montana. And a lot of them are going for it and we're trying to 
recruit younger, much of the younger generation to do it. I should actually be studying for it, but I find myself, you know, wandering off and doing other things, <laughs> kind of running around with my camera. And but I think, you know, as soon as that confidence comes, I think I'm an elite for that class seven certification. I would like to see um, Shan language class taught at Bozeman. I think that would be, you know, a big step for the Shan language because I do. Uh, the students up there, the Cheyenne language students, they talk about, you know, they miss language and they hear the Crow language being taught up there and I was like, wow, well, wouldn't it be cool to have a Cheyenne language speaker up there? So right now we're trying to find, recruit the younger generation, trying to recruit all the time to get the class seven going. Thank you, Anthony. It's been good to hear your stories. In this quiet revolution, we try to hear how these stories and other traditional ecological knowledge can integrate with Western culture science. We've been listening to two Northern Cheyenne this evening. We've been around the campfire at Chief Dullknife College on the campus. And next time, you can join us as we travel to Northern Mongolia, where cattle are herded or they live on the same land that the national park managers manage. Here lies a dilemma. We'll find out more about this in the next episode of The Quiet Revolution, Ways of Knowing. Let us hear from you. You can write us at our email, thequietrevolutionpodcast at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook. And thank you for listening.